Welcome to the Stories to Love podcast, the podcast where I fangirl over creators and find out all about their inspiration in hopes to boost our own inspiration. I am your host, Tiff Marcello, an inspiration seeker and your resident fangirl. Hi, everyone. This is Tiff of the Stories to Love podcast, and this is episode 33. It is December 29, 2021. This will be the last episode for the year. And yes, I am still completely in disbelief. Here with me on this episode is actress and author of The Low Country Bride, Presley Williams. We had such a fun conversation about the power of revisions, stories that continue to call to us, her life as an actor, and piecing cultural information as part of her book research. This conversation also comes perfectly just before the turn of the new year, because we talk a little bit about her vision board and how she manifests the things that she wants. But before we head on over, I wanted to give you my inspiration for this week. It is the end of the quarter, which means I'm revisiting the HB90 quarterly planning class. I think I've mentioned more than once on this podcast how I love this quarterly writing process, our quarterly planning process. I'll link it in the show notes, but it's a process created and taught by YA author Sarah Cannon, and I started utilizing this process last year, and I believe that 2021 went so well because of it. Um, It's not about doing more things, but really understanding where my intention is at and what kind of work I want to do, and also realistically understanding how long tasks take and allotting myself that time. It was an already hectic year this year. So I am so grateful for my Kanban board. Finally, um, my family and I are still in the smack in the middle of celebrating the holidays. Our Christmas was intimate with just our immediate family. It is the countdown before my two college kids leave the nest once more. And it's hairy out there, not only with COVID, but with natural disasters that have occurred recently, like the tornadoes in Western Kentucky, as well as Typhoon Rai, which plowed through the Philippines. So if you are in a place to give this holiday season, please consider giving locally or to efforts that benefit those struggling communities. And I'm going to go ahead and link um, some places in the show notes as well. Now, in terms of writing updates, I am chugging along on editing my spring 2023 novel. I am also doing editor revisions for my fall 2022 novel. If you listen to my podcast last week where I talk about working on two different projects, not only is my fall 22 novel um, with the earlier deadline, but it's also dominating my heart. So it is definitely what's getting my attention these days. But anyway, that's fast and furious, and that is enough for me. I do hope that everyone is hanging in there and staying safe and getting your joys and inspiration in whenever you can. When you, uh, when I send in my next podcast episode or when I post it, it's going to be the new year. So I hope you all stay safe through the new year season. I appreciate all you who have subscribed. If you haven't, please do and leave a rating when you can. If you'd like to support this podcast, please grab one of my books for you and a friend on my website at tiffmarcello.com. And here we go to my in conversation with Preslacia Williams.
everyone. This is Tiff, and this is the Stories to Love podcast, and here with me is Preslesa Williams. Preslesa Williams is an award-winning author who writes heartwarming romance and women's fiction with an Afro-Filipina twist. Proud of her heritage, she loves sharing her culture with her readers. A graduate of Columbia University, Preslesa is a professional actress, a planner nerd, an avid bookworm, and a busy mom who wears mismatched socks. Thank you for having me, Tiff. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh. I had the pleasure of reading A Low Country Bride last year. I think I read it before Christmas time and I just fell in love with it. And thank you so much for sending it to me early because I felt that it was such a special book. Well, thank you for reading it. Yeah. (laughs) And and the thing is too, is it's just wonderful to see other Filipino-American authors out there. We are taping this during Filipino-American History Month, although it won't it won't play until November, but it's really, really special to get to know other film writers. It's it, to me, it's such a special thing. Yes. So here we are. Tell me a story. Who are you? Who am I? Hmm. I would say I'm a dreamer, first and foremost. I've always been a dreamer. Ever since I was a young girl, I grew up in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and we lived in a one-bedroom apartment in uh, an urban area of New Brunswick. And I loved to read a lot. Fiction was my escape from reality in a lot of ways. Television shows were also, sitcoms were escape from reality in a lot of ways. And so um, just reading and going to the library, my mom always took me to the library a lot when I was a kid. I just, it just opened a whole new world for me. And it opened up like possibilities for me beyond where I could see from where I lived at the time. And so I was just, that from that point, I just began to dream and imagine of, of, of a different type of life for myself, one that would give me like a lot of different opportunities and, and things. So I dreamed of being an actress, being rich and famous. And I even, I had dreams at one point of being a waitress. I wanted to be a successful waitress. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm a dreamer at heart. So that's who I am. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) And you mentioned wanting to be an actress and you were one. Mm-hmm. And you're getting your notoriety today being um, an author. You are published both in the indie space as mm-hmm. well as tra- traditional space. Yeah. So before we go into your journey, though, let us talk about A Low Country Bride. So tell me about this book and your inspiration behind it. A Low Country Bride is about a woman named Maya who is African-American and Filipino. And she's a bridal gown designer who has big dreams of um, making it one day in the mainstream bridal gown. And so she's very ambitious and she hopes to, to leave her mark in, in that, in that, in her industry before, before she passes on. And so as she does, as she aims and works towards her goals, something happens where she has to leave New York City in that fashion world and come back down to Charleston, South Carolina to take care of her father, who sprained his hip, fractured his hip. And while she's down there, she ends up working at this bridal boutique in downtown Charleston, which is on its last leg. And the boutique is owned by the hero of the story, a man named Derek. And he inherited this uh, bridal boutique from his mother, who's deceased. 
And he wants to preserve the space because it's a representative of his mother's legacy. And so she helps him turn the place around. And as she does, they fall in love. And then she has to rethink her dreams and goals for her life. Yeah. So do you have a connection to Charleston? I did see a a few pictures of you um, in Charleston recently, I think. When were you there? A couple um, I, months ago? Yeah, I was there probably a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. I was at the Charleston County Library, Public Library, but I always go there a couple times a year. My connection to Charleston started because my husband was in the Navy. He um, graduated from the Naval Academy, and then he did his five years, five-year commitment, active duty. And so we were stationed all around the country. We were in San Diego, Norfolk, and then in Charleston. And so while I was in Charleston, while we were, while he was stationed there going to nuclear power, I basically fell in love with the city. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I fell in love with the place and the people there. We attended a church there in, not in Charleston per se, but it was in Somerville, South Carolina. And the people in the community, in the church community and in the community at large came to become, they, they, they became like family. I just grew so much as a person while I was living in Charleston. Prior to that, I would, I was still like coming into my own as a woman and as an adult. And it was in that space where I became a grown up. I had to learn how to become a grown up. And so, and that community was really supportive and, and loving and kind. And so, I wasn't writing at the time that I was living there, but when I did start writing fiction, I said, you know, I want to write stories that are set in that space. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, And I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. Yeah. Well, I I, I definitely could feel, I I visited Charleston a couple of times and I can definitely feel Charleston in your book. Now, you know, this story is a romance, but there's so much in this family. I always call like, it's the books family, you know, who is comprised of this family is, is Maya and Mm -hmm. Derek and all their friends and, and family members. And it's not, perfect, right? Life is not perfect. Maya Mm -hmm. has her own health problems and, and her dad has this hip issue. And Derek is still grieving because grieving never really ends. Mm -hmm. Um, I found it so realistic. And I, I wonder if it's because also I was reading this during the pandemic, right? Or because I'm in my mid 40s, and I'm just looking at life in just a different way where I shouldn't assume that everything is perfect whenever I come into a situation. Yeah. Or like when I meet somebody new, I never assume that their life is perfect because we all know better than that. Now, how did you make the decision to include all of these other aspects? Did did it come naturally for you to write that? Did, so did this book come naturally with all of these aspects or did you add those in the end? I actually, for this story, this is the first book that I ever started to write. So this is like 
my, I want to be a writer and a novelist one day. I'm going to write a book. And this is the book where I just had no idea what I was doing. And I just opened up a laptop in 2010 and just started writing. <laughs> and, and so the book is right now about like 11 years old. And so when I started writing the story, I did not have any of the layers or issues in it back then that I ended up putting into the story. I decided my decision to add in those layers, the grief, the illness, the loss, all of those, those issues with identity and ethnic identity, all of that came as I lived longer. So I, I haven't battled with physical illness per se, but I have dealt with grief, issues of uh, race and ethnic identity, finding your place in the world as a person of color. Mm -hmm. And so those were things that I wove into the story as I was doing like multiple drafts of the book. Yeah. Um, it really shows the importance of like revision though, right? Yeah. It could be the death of us also. Like yes, yes, editing yes. and revision could take us, you know, to, to places unknown, but at yeah. the same time, like the power of time mm. and rest in between books. But you had, you were indie published before yes. A Low Country Bride. So yes. you picked, I guess you stopped and started Low Country Bride yes. along the way. Then. Yes, yes, yes. I actually, originally, when this book was in an earlier form, I had had hopes to um, have it published as like an inspirational romance, mm -hmm. which would have like more of a heavier faith thread in it. But it seemed like that wasn't like where the doors were opening for me. And so I said, you know, I'll just keep it. I'll make it like a sweet romance. But I'll take off like I'll, I'll take out like the heavy, the heavy faith references and just make it a sweet romance with maybe some light touches of faith. But because I was because I had my mind fixed that this is an inspirational romance novel, like for so many years. I had to put it aside and like just stop. Like, I'm not thinking about this no more. Let me do something else. And so I put it aside for like maybe like two or three years. And then I did write other books. And and, and I also got a master's in fine arts and write in creative writing during that time too. And I wrote two other stories. And yes, some of them were indie published. But it was really, that was a great time for me to actually put it aside and focus on something else because I was just so like, one track I was like one track mind with like where this book would land how it would what type of story it would be and where it would where it would be eventually published and perceived and so I had to put it aside and live and then like you know focus on other things and then when I came back to it after you know writing other stories and having my own personal life experiences I was able to weave that's when I weaved in those deeper layers about the grief and the illness and the identity issues and all of that. Yeah. It's interesting how like a story continues to call to us. Yes. You oh know what goodness. I mean? Yeah. It just, it's like, come back, to, come back to me. Yeah. You're not done with me yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. So like, I would be like writing these other stories and then like, like I'd be talking to like critique partners or other writers and like, you know, I have this bridal book and I've been working on it and it's just such a mess. The structure's so off. I don't even know how to write romances. I don't even know what to do with this, but I just, I just feel like I need to finish it. Like it's not finished. I need to write it, finish it. So, but then we're like, yeah, you should work on it. So 
I would work on it and then I would put it aside, work on something else. And then here's the story again. And then even my friends from like five or six years ago, like my writing friends are like, oh yeah, I remember you were talking about that bridal book seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, you're still working on that one. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was it tough for you to put aside some of those faith references? I did pick up, so I, I am, I'm Roman Catholic. So yeah. I was, I was able to pick up threads of faith in there, which mm-hmm. I appreciated, but at the same time, was it hard for you to put down the rest? You said that you had kind of taken out some faith references. Yeah, yeah. Was that tough for you or did it feel natural at that point to be able to? It felt natural for me at that point to be able to do it because I could clearly see, and I'm Roman Catholic too, mm-hmm. I could clearly see that, you know, I'm a person of faith, so I'll, I'll speak faith terms. Mm-hmm. I could clearly see that God didn't want this book in a in that target market of that Christian romance space. I could Mm -hmm. clearly see that he wanted this book to be in a wider market to open to people of all faith traditions and all backgrounds. And he just didn't want it to be like the religious romance. So because I could see that that's what God wanted to do with it, then it was easy for me to take it out. And then so if someone picked up on it, they would pick up on it. Or if they didn't, they didn't. But I could see that that's where he want that he didn't want this book in that space. So yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it, it, the reach is also a little wider. Yeah. Right. And then the message is sent a little bit wider. Yeah. Which I think is is really neat. Now, you have your MFA, but you got that later on in life. Yeah. And, but you were an actress before. Yeah. So what were you in? I mean, I've seen the gifts of. <laughs> Of a young you, but tell our readers like what projects you were in. I was my my most well known project is I was on Nickelodeon's The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu, which was a popular television show in the nineties, and it starred a woman named Irene Ung. She was the role she played the role of Shelby Wu. I was her one of her best friends, Cindy, and her grandfather on the show was played by the late Pat Morita who was from the Karate Kid fame. So yeah, so that's, I, that was like my, my big TV, TV moment. I've also done like regional theater. I was on Figure It Out. I was like on an episode of Figure It Out in Nickelodeon when I was, when I was doing the Shelby Wu show. So yeah, I was on Figure It Out. I've done like commercials and modeling and all of that stuff. And that's funny because I told, I said at the beginning that when you asked me, who am I? I said, I'm a dreamer. So I remember when I was um, nine years old, I was sitting in the apartment, in our apartment in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. And I remember I saw a film of Elizabeth Taylor when she was very young, like nine, 10, 11, 12. And then I said to myself when I saw her, I was like, I want to be an actor. And I was dreaming again. And then I was nine years old at that time. And I said, but in five years, I'm going to be on a television show. And so I told my parents that in five (laughs) years, I'm going to be on a television show. And then lo and behold, in 1993, I was 14 years old, five years from then, uh, my mom got a call from my talent agent that I booked this show. I love that. What a great story. So listen, you're just going to have to manifest everything. Everything, right? I mean, truly, like say it. Say it out loud and demand it, right? (laughs) It will happen. Yeah. That's great. So- did your actress, I guess, video career, I don't know how to say it, no, but did it career? stop and then your writing career begin? Or do, are you doing 
acting today? Are you doing modeling today? Are you doing any of that? So after the show, the show stopped in like when I was like 18 years old. At the time, I went to college. I went to college in New York at Columbia University. I did audition at that time, but I was going through a lot like personal personal issues and things. So my career, my acting career kind of went like, then it stopped. And so I just finished college and I got married. And after I graduated college, I got married and then married this military man. And we were traveling all around the world or not all around the world, all around the country. And when we were in California, I was thinking, oh, you know, I could do some auditions there. But I just never got around to like really pursuing that full force. And so it wasn't, and I wasn't writing at all. And then it wasn't until our first child was born in like 2008. And I was going through like those newborn days. And I was just, and I also, and by 2008, I had worked a whole bunch of like different office jobs. I worked for the federal government. I worked for government accountability office and other um, federal jobs and civilian jobs. And it felt like it was like sucking the life out of me, <laughs> just going to <laughs> office all day. So by the time the newborn and I was this, you know, mom, brain drain, oh my gosh. And then I remembered, oh yeah, I used to be like this creative person before. And I like used to be this artist. Oh yeah, I should do that. Oh really? I can't really do that because I have this baby and we're like not in New York or LA and I have no idea what to do, but I should be an artist again or something. I just had this desire. So I just picked up a notebook and a pen and I said, oh, I could be a creative by writing. So I just started writing. And my writing at that time was just morning pages journaling. It wasn't like books or poetry or anything like any like work. It was just me just writing just as like an outlet. And I just did that, like those morning pages. I started in like 2008 and I would just do that. And then after a while, I got the idea to like become a novelist and start this book, which eventually became A Low Country Bride. And it just all kind of snowballed from there. But it all the the writings came after a long, decades long drought of creativity. And then I was like this mom, like, I want, I don't like this. I need something to do. So that's how that happened. <laughs> it's like a it's like your book. You have to sit it down sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yes. I feel like that's how it is like in life anyway. We're like yeah. our own arcs. Yeah. You know, we're just yeah, yeah. Yes. some days you're just <laughs> trying to keep it together. <laughs> True. <laughs> and then some days it just goes forth. I mean, so do you are you gonna do any acting in the future, you think? Or I would love I would love to do acting in the future. I know that you have young kids. I mean, I have still two young kids at home. It does, I mean, we just have to be straight. You know, there yeah. are some priorities that that come into play. Yeah. And that's why we have to be creative in other ways. Yeah, yeah. But do you feel like it's an it's something that you still want to do? It is something I still want to do. When I was homeschooling my kids, I would go on auditions and 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 things, but now I just put them in school so my 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 schedule's like more restricted now with, you know, how much I can go out because I'm have to pick them up and drop them off at school all the time, but but yes, I have not set down acting and it is definitely something I want to do and continue doing. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I want to ask you about your research for a low country bride because <laughs> the thing I was really like enamored with was with the stitching on the dresses mm-hmm. and the styles and and how um that's something I didn't even consider I mean 
my dad always wore barong Tagalog, mm-hmm. which had the gorgeous stitching on the mm-hmm. lapels. Yeah. But I had, and of course, you have the butterfly dresses that my my mom and my aunts used mm-hmm. to wear. But I don't have any experience at all in all these really like micro things. Mm-hmm. So did you have what that must have been fun, like doing research for it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So so that was another layer that I put in on subsequent revisions. And that that interest of mine grew out of a period of my life where I was trying to reconnect with um, my cultural identity. I kind of felt like I was like fractured in a lot of ways culturally. And so I wanted to like reconnect with um, the my West African heritage and indigenous Filipino heritage. That was something that seemed so far off to me because my mother is Filipino and she came here, she came to the United States in the seventies. My connection to the Philippines is from like the trips that I, the four or five trips that I've made in my lifetime. And, and like, Whenever, you know, I hear my mom talking Tagalog or Visaya to her friends and things like that, that that's like my, my exposure to, to Filipino culture. So I wanted to do a deep dive. And so for me doing a deep dive meant, well, I want to know everything pre-Spaniards, pre-Spanish colonization. (laughs) So it's huge, huge swath of information, isn't it? It's like... I, I, I think I, I went through the same thing. I still am like trying to piece together where I fit in this whole space of the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And it's neat that you were able to focus on that one thing because you learn a lot, right? Yeah. In that small amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was really interested in indigenous Filipino culture. And so one of the things that I kind of stumbled on, I was reading about spirituality, pre-Catholic spiritualities and, and ways of being and all of that. And so one of the things that really caught my interest was, oh, I was looking at like Baba Yin and all, all the writing and stuff. So one of the things that caught my interest was the, the, the very like micro specific stitching techniques. And one of the things that I learned in my um, research is that some of this, some of the stitchings that they did was um, spiritual, like for protection or to ward off evil spirits or things like that. And so I don't, I don't make any reference to, to that particular, like the purpose behind the stitches in my book, but it was just a, a nice addition or a nice thing to know about how my, or how our ancestors um, lived in practice prior prior to the arrival of the Spanish. So that was just something that, and so putting that in a low country bride was my way of paying homage to that period of Filipino culture and history, which can be easily forgotten or erased and ignored or, you know, just kind of skimmed over. And so it was just my way, by putting it in there, it was my way of saying, I see you, I'm one of your descendants, and I thank you and honor you for for providing me with the DNA to exist today. So that was yeah. that was what I did. <laughs> well, it was it was super special. And being able to read that fiction exists not just to entertain, you know, there mm-hmm. is something to be learned from fiction and yeah. how other people in you know how the characters in fiction react so, yeah. to certain facts or details so mm-hmm. it was it was really amazing to me um there is this quote i always like to bring up a quote in people's books so the first uh, the my most favorite is when i don't want to spoil but maya runs into an obstacle yes and mm-hmm. she says to herself 
persist, persist, <laughs> persist. And at that moment in reading that, I definitely think I needed it because I think we were in the we were in the, the thick of pandemic last yeah. year and and how that really like it was a message to me. So when you are writing that, is that something you tell yourself? Is that something you tell your kids or has it was that something told to you? It's something I tell myself um, a lot because I have like gone through like so many obstacles, like in my acting journey, my writing journey, just in life in general. And so a lot of times. In many ways, Maya's journey is reflective of my own. I just put it in a fictional format. And so her saying to herself, persist, 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 is also me telling myself when I'm coming up against obstacles, persist, persist, persist. Because yes, we, we do encounter obstacles in life. We do encounter setbacks. But if we ever stop, that's when everything stops. Like, yeah. like I think about like with writing, your writing journey is so hard, especially if you want to go like the traditional publishing route, because there's so many like, you know, steps to the process and so many ways that, you know, you could get like railroaded off, you know, towards your dream of publication. But no matter what, if I stop writing, then yes, it all stops. So even if like I encounter an obstacle, if I'm still working on something on the side, have a project I'm still working on. Yes, that obstacle is still there, but I'm still persisting in creation. So, so yeah. So that is something that's really important to me. Now, I always ask all of my guests, what do you do on a daily basis to keep going? What is one practical thing that you can suggest to somebody? Oh, okay. So one of the things I do, I was going through this really hard time in my um, writing journey in like 2014, 15, 16. And then I remember I was scrolling on Facebook and I saw this post by Elizabeth Gilbert back then, like maybe six or seven years ago, where she talks about how she does like these vision boards, but they're not like vision boards like, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire or I'm going to like, you know, be like super rich and famous, whatever. They were just like, she would just take a bunch of magazines and she would just cut images that inspired her. And then she would just put them in this collage. And then that would be her message for the year, whatever, whatever she came up with. And so I love that, the playfulness of that. And so starting in 2014, I, I had this ritual, this annual ritual, like every December, I go to a bookstore and I buy like a whole bunch of magazines, think magazines that speak to me. And I just like cut them up and cut out images or colors or whatever that speak to me. And that's like my, my vision for the year, whatever that is. It's just like this artsy collage or whatever. And it like kind of like sets, it's a visual look at where I feel like I want to go for that year. On top of that, I also, then I really got into vision boards and I also like got more specific because like I said, I had gone through like a really hard setback in my writing journey as many writers do. And so I had to sit down and say, what do I want from my, from this? What do I want? Because, you know, if I don't know what I want, then, you know, something can happen and I'm just like all over the place. So I put on there specifically what I wanted. I even put in like a, a mock cover of A Low Country Bride, which looks very similar to the published cover. I put like inspirational sayings. I put like other things that I wanted for my writing career, which 
haven't happened yet, but are very close to happening. I even put like mock publishing contracts. I love it. With my dream publisher. And those actually manifested because now I can take my actual, (laughs) I can put my actual (laughs) publishing contract next to the mock one. So like I just did all of this and then I would just look at it for like, you know, like maybe a couple seconds a day. There have gone months where I wasn't looking at it and it would just be hanging up on my wall. But, you know, every once in a while, I just look at it. And then over time, and then I would still work, you know, persist, persist, keep writing, keep writing. And then all of a sudden, it just like snowballs. And then you're looking at your vision board and then you're reading your email and you're saying, wow, this email is matching what I put on my vision board. This is weird. But it like all converges. (laughs) I love it. Well, I mean, it really does keep your hopes forefront. And so all your actions, you're also putting behind it because it's not just the hope and the faith, right? It's also just like the everyday, just writing, writing and getting it done. Wow. Mm -hmm. This is so wonderful. Now, before we are at the 30 minute mark, (laughs) it's always so fast, but do you, who are you reading right now? Do you have a couple of titles for us, suggestions for books? Yes. I'm currently listening to the audiobook of The Convenient Groom by Denise Hunter. She's a sweet mm-hmm. romance author. And I'm reading, because I do both, uh, It Takes Heart by Tiff Marceau. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I, have on, <laughs> and I have on my queue Deep Work by Cal Newport. That's like on my okay. radar. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I've just, what a wonderful conversation. It went by so quickly. But thank you, everyone. Thank you, Preslesa, for coming. You're just amazing. And oh, I thank you. can't wait. Oh, just drop in when your next book is. Like, do you have something on the horizon? Yes, I have um, the next book in the Brides of the Low Country series. So Low Country Bride is book one. Um, book two is tentatively tentatively scheduled for spring of 2023, and I'm drafting it Fantastic. now. Fantastic. Oh my gosh, we cannot wait. Everything will be on the show notes. But thank you, Preslesa, for coming. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Stories to Love podcast. And we'll see you again. Bye. <music> Thank you so much for joining me, Tiff Marcello, at the Stories to Love podcast. You can follow me through my newsletter at tiffmarcello.com, an Instagram and Facebook page under Tiff Marcello and the Stories to Love podcast. You can support this podcast by leaving a rating, spreading the word, and picking up one of my books for you and a friend on my website at tiffmarcello.com. I'll see you again.